I'm Representative Liz Olson. I'm Representative Jamie Long. And we're the co-hosts of the Minnesota Values Podcast. Every week, Liz and I bring you real stories from real Minnesotans about the values that inspire action at our state capitol and in our communities. Listen anywhere podcasts are available. Good afternoon, podcast listeners. Uh, it is Representative Liz Olson coming to you from Duluth with my co-host, Representative Jamie Long, who hey, Liz. is down in Minneapolis. So we're 150 miles apart, aren't we, Jamie? We are, but uh, nice to get to connect uh, and get our podcast back up and running. Yeah, so we're excited to have our MVP podcast listeners with us again. Uh, we took a little break there as we worked to get ourselves situated in our home offices and figure out how we'd record. So we're glad to get this off the ground again. And we're really excited that today is a special MVP podcast. We'll be talking about COVID-19. We'll be talking about some of the values that really unite us as Minnesotans, especially in the moment we're in. And couldn't really think of a better person to have with us in all of this as uh, Senator Susan Kent, who has been with us at the Minnesota Values uh, Project table for a while now. And this is something that we know is important to her, uh, is the work around that we do rooted in the values of Minnesotans. So we're super excited to have you as part of our podcast. So welcome, uh, Senator Kent. Thank you so much. Really excited to be here with you guys and have this conversation. Yeah. And you... So just so our, you're going to hear us and uh, people don't know, but you're in Woodbury, Jamie's in Minneapolis, I'm in Duluth, and hopefully to the listener, it sounds like we're somewhat in the same room, but uh, it, it will be a test, but we're, we're glad we can be doing this because the work doesn't stop, uh, whether we're at the Capitol or whether we're back in our districts, uh, the needs of the constituents don't stop, and so this is a great time for us to connect even though we're all very far apart, so, um, so we're really glad to have you here. And I don't know if there's anything, Jamie, you want to say, but I think it's probably good to just give everyone a little bit of a look back. It's been a while. Um, yep, I think that's right. Yeah. So, and then we'll dive in, as mentioned, we'll talk about what's happening at the Capitol, how we're operating in this new reality, talk a little bit about uh, where we go from here and uh, just get a chance to really ground with our listeners again and the important work we're doing. Um, so I think for many of us, this new reality has us really spinning and it really brings up a lot of fear and isolation and the things that I think a lot of people were hearing from our constituents these days. Um, but one of the things I'm reminded about and why we started this Minnesota Values Plan and podcast and project um, a number of years ago now was the belief that Minnesotans really care about one another. Um, we went around the entire state, whether we were in Grand Rapids, Minneapolis, Duluth, uh, out in, uh, Representative Marquardt's district, what we really heard is that Minnesotans believe in community, they believe we're connected, and right now that's really what we're seeing. Um, even though the fear and isolation creep in and it's real, we're also seeing Minnesotans really come together. So I think a good place for us to start today is maybe I bet there's a story we each have of, you know, how have we seen this show up in this crisis moment as legislators? Um, how have we seen community kind of showcase itself and that care for one another? Um, and Jamie and I have had, we've been on a lot of Zoom calls, a lot of talks, and 
I, I know you have some good stories of what's happening down there in Minneapolis, and I'm sure, Susan, you do too. So, Jamie, why don't you tell us something you've seen that's really exemplified what, what grounds us in Minnesota values? Sure. Well, I, I think that's absolutely right, Liz, that, um, you know, Minnesotans really value their community. We know that. We've, we've seen that time and time again. Um, and I think that's really ringing true now more than ever. Uh, and one, one story that actually I, I knew about before it made the Star Tribune, but uh, a good friend of mine has a little free library in front of her house. And uh, some folks may, may be familiar with these. It's a way to share books with your neighbors that you may not uh, may have outgrown or may not be reading at the moment. And she converted her little free library to a little free pantry. So she put uh, toilet paper in there. She put uh, cans of food. Uh, she put, you know, things that she thought her neighbors uh, who might be less fortunate than her would need. And it caught on. So uh, a bunch of people across uh, the, the metro area who have these little free libraries have converted them to pantries and are, are giving things to their neighbors who might need it. So I just thought that was a really um, touching moment to show people coming together. That's a good one. And yeah, I read that article and I didn't know that that was a good friend of yours. So that's really a sweet story of what's happening in Minneapolis. How about over in Woodbury in your neck of the woods, Susan? What's some things that you're seeing that exemplify the, the community we live in? You know, there's so many different things that I keep seeing. And you're right, it does just exemplify that spirit of, um, you know, being there for each other and caring for each other. Um, and, and there are so many different groups that are affected by this in different ways, you know, whether it's economic because, um, you know, people are losing income at a time when that's really hard. Um, uh, and the, the transitions that so many families are going through, whether it's parents working at home or having to deal with the fact that they have to, to work in essential jobs, but what, where are their kids going to be? Um, and obviously with kids uh, doing distance learning now, how challenging that is. And I've really noticed a lot of attention to our kids because, you know, as adults, we're dealing with the stress of this, but we may have a few more tools to, to manage it. Um, but kids, this is, this is complicated stuff and they're missing their friends and they're missing their structures and their teachers. And so I just love all the stories about the ways that communities are supporting kids. And one I just heard about the other day is in really in my own neighborhood, um, not too far from me, um, a, a little girl was having her birthday and she was having to cancel her celebrations, of course, to be safe and stay home, um, which of course is fundamentally how we're taking care of each other. Um, but the neighborhood got together and they all painted or put big chalk drawings and messages in their driveways and they all got out in the street and they cheered and waved and wished her happy birthday. And, you know, just to help kids get through this in different ways, there are just so many great examples. And I loved that one because I thought that was really touching. That's a good example. And I, I think you said it so well that how we're caring for each other right now is staying home. Um, what a different thing that actually our way we care and way we show community is actually by in some ways isolating ourselves, but it's really sacrificing for the greater good of each other and shows like how tied together we are um, across the state and unified in that. Um, and I would say, you know, mine is similar as something I witnessed. I live between uh, equal distance between a high school and an elementary school uh, in Duluth and the amount of people walking together in community and waving. And if you go by the schools, there's all the teachers have decorated their classroom windows and the doors with messages to the students. 
Um, so you see a lot of families kind of walk the loop by the school that they would normally be attending and get a chance for their students, you know, their kids to feel connected to that playground maybe they can't go to, but they can see the window in their classroom with really encouraging message from their teacher. Um, I know paras are still going in and at the front lines I saw um, some the other day out on the playground because they're caring for the kids of the, the first tier workers that are out there, the emergency workers, and seeing that they're still risking um, a lot to make sure the kids are cared for. It's so evident in our community. So um, I think that's, you know, the spirit of the time we're in. So I appreciate those stories and I think it helps us to get into kind of the harder part, which is the nitty gritty of like, how do we legislate in this time? How do we legislate in a way that cares for those who are most vulnerable? Um, and least perhaps economically resilient to come out of this. And so I'm wondering, Susan, if kind of in the spirit of this, you could just give us a little bit of an update. You're one of our four leaders, and this is a crucial time to be one of our four leaders. And thank goodness, I'm so glad you're there. <laughs> I'm so glad you're making decisions on behalf of Minnesota. And so tell us about where we're at in terms of uh, legislative process, how we're operating right now, what's happening at the Capitol. Well, um, specifically at the Capitol, not a lot, which is a good thing because we are all um, doing what we're asking other Minnesotans to do, which is to, to work from home to the best of our ability. And that is a challenge in the legislature because through our constitution and our laws, um, we have an obligation to be so open and transparent and we are really a hands-on face-to-face operation. And so um, moving this, um, uh, to be more remote has been a challenge because we want to strike a balance of, be, of doing the urgency with um, to meet the needs of Minnesotans in this really difficult, challenging time of uncharted waters, but also to make sure that we are um, uh, trying to maintain our obligations to have public input and engagement and to be transparent and to do our jobs responsibly in that way. So it's been, you know, that has been a challenge for us, but we're, we're, we're getting through it and we are continuing to, to get better at it. Um, we, it's been a couple weeks now since we basically recessed um, in a way. Uh, we're supposed to meet every three days and we um, had uh, resolutions jointly with the House and the Senate, and we have generally been working pretty well together, which is good um, to say that we won't meet in the same way that we have, but we've set up a couple of meetings. So we had um, one session last Thursday where we got some things done, and then um, we, you know, we are meeting only as necessary until the 14th, um, doing this remote work to make sure we're responding to our constituent needs. And I think we're all seeing a, a heightened level of communications and concerns and input from our constituents. And so our staffs, even though they're working from home too, and our office phones are being forwarded, um, you know, it, we're, they're doing a great job trying to, to address constituent needs and also still work on legislation. Um, so in that process, um, you know, what we did do was back on March 9th, we um, appropriated, when we were still actually in session, we appropriated $21 million for public health preparedness. Um, and then on the 17th, uh, we appropriated $200 million um, for hospitals and clinics and providers so that we could prepare for and then be ready to respond to the outbreaks. And then when we met again March 26th, uh, we, it was a collection of, of uh, appropriations for $330 million for economic aid for workers, businesses, and families. So there were loans for the restaurants and bars and other businesses that have been hit by um, these closures. Uh, we have grants for childcare providers, both family-based and center-based. 
food security, um, housing security, aid for our 11 sovereign tribal nations, and um, uh, a COVID fund that um, is really directed to specific needs related to COVID. For example, the, um, the commission that will approve these expenditures just authorized um, expenditures for N95 respirators and for ventilators so that we're prepared for um, you know, what we know is likely to come and to make sure we can meet the needs to take care of Minnesotans. And this was, these were all really important steps and met some of the very critical needs um, that we know we have as a state. You, you mentioned that there's, uh, there's more to do, right? We, we were, um, we've had sort of three rounds of uh, legislation to try to help two focused on health, as you mentioned, and then one filling in uh, some of the um, urgent aid needs that we have as a state. Um, but sort of taking a step back, at, and Susan, you've been involved with the uh, Minnesota Values Project and thinking about uh, some of the fundamental issues that we have um, as a state and had before COVID-19 in terms of the, the care that we really need to be providing to one another. Um, this crisis has really laid bare some of the needs that we have uh, as a state that we had before, but are even more, um, more acute now. Uh, one of those, I think, is the, the paid family medical leave issue, which I know you've worked um, closely on, uh, taking the lead on in the Senate. Um, can you talk a little bit about how you view that issue in light of the the crisis that we're dealing with now? Well, when you think about um, all the challenges and the, just the variety of challenges that Minnesotans are facing right now in terms of taking care of themselves, taking care of family members, um, you know, paid family and medical leave would go a long way to resolving some of these issues and taking a huge burden off of employers who are trying to navigate this at a time when um, many businesses are um, just seeing, you know, whether they're closed or it's just reduced you know, consumer and client activity, um, this was, would be a valuable resource. It would give people um, replacement wages so that they, if they take time off, either because of their own health concerns or because of um, caring for a family member, uh, which we know, um, we've heard, all heard too many stories when, when a family member is sick, um, and they're, but they're staying home, which most people who get this illness will be doing, they need often need some help just to do to, you know to take care of the basics and so right. um, this, this is a big need and this is demonstrating in an extreme situation obviously but we can imagine this happening in our um, you know our day-to-day -day lives without the backdrop of a pandemic right and we've talked about the economic need for it right for to be able to move jobs or uh, take time off we've talked about the human need for it right just being able to care for your loved ones but this has really shown the public health uh, urgency for it. The, the federal government has had to step in and they didn't go far enough, but they you know, had to step in to give some paid family medical leave to um, Americans because they realized that without this, we were gonna have even worse public health consequences. Exactly. Um, and, you know, and when you add in the conversation about earned safe and sick time, which is a little different, the paid family leave tends to be for longer periods of time earn safe and sick time, make sure that everybody has access to um, paid time off when they, when they get an, or just a, a regular illness. And again, you know, people are recognizing it in a real extreme way right now because um, 
because of the nature of this disease. But this is an issue all the time. You know, too many people in our service industries, for example, do not get paid if they're sick and have to take the day off. And if they're making a choice between a paycheck and feeding their family versus, you know, staying home and then the public health side of that, flu is a serious issue, as everybody is realizing now. Um, every year. And we need to make sure for public health reasons, as well as just taking care of each other, um, that, uh, that this is something we really need to come back and have this conversation about. Right. And, you know, childcare as well, we, we did get $30 million to do some of the emergency needs. Um, but this was part of our MVP platform, uh, for, for the last couple of years. Um, there has been a, childcare urgency to the state and um, real gaps in our childcare providers and in affordability for too many families. And uh, unfortunately, it looks like this crisis is going to really exacerbate that. What, what more do you think we need to be doing in this space? This is, you know, it, it's a big issue. One of the, the concerns is that even before this came up, we were having tremendous workforce or childcare shortages, which has a ripple effect on the businesses and our workforce. And a lot of these issues, if you think about it, a lot of families make a decision to stay out of the paid workplace for a, a family member to stay out of the paid workplace um, because they know it's too much of a juggle. If there are health issues or childcare concerns or um, uh, if they have to make choices to because of healthcare coverage because it's so uh, employer based in, our, in America. Um, and so by making sure that we're taking care of childcare through and creating a bridge uh, through this time, hopefully we don't do further damage to our existing childcare resources, which are so important to making sure our kids are taken care of, making sure our, our families know that they have uh, reliable care for their kids and for our economy and our workforce. And to that point too, with the stuff that, you know, Jamie, you've been mentioning too, is we've done some good temporary work on it, but we also see the impact when we pass bills um, and get things done through the legislative process that aren't just for a temporary time or dealing with it in crisis. But one of the bills, um, you know, was the wage theft law that we passed last year actually got across the finish line, which is one of our MVP. But the impact of like how many of these pieces of legislation, if they were done to the full potential and the scope of what your bill was, Susan, or, you know, Representative flashes or in sick and safe time, how much further it would go and how much better we would be in a place to kind of inoculate against some of the crisis we now find ourselves in and putting 30 million into childcare or whatever that, you know, we, we see that. So, I mean, from that standpoint, um, you know, we've done some good work, but, you know, as you noted, some of this is just temporary, correct? Right. I mean, I think the, the analogy that I keep hearing is we are trying um, both at the federal level and at the state levels to create a bridge to support people, families, in small businesses in particular, um, some industries. Um, and, you know, so that we can get through this time, which we know is driven by a public health crisis, but is also creating an economic challenge. And so um, all of these pieces coming together, we know, it, I think it's just opening people's eyes in a, in a brand new way to the potential when we come out of this, when we get past this this bridge to what do we need to do long term? I was reading a, a, a conversation just this morning talking about national security and how much we've focused on like anti-terrorism in the past 20-ish years in particular. 
and the resources there. But guess what? Our real national security is something like this. And if we don't have the, the fundamental resources and infrastructure to, to take care of each other and to keep ourselves healthy and safe, um, you know, it, it's just pointing out how urgent these needs really are. Absolutely. I think that's part of where we're at now is we have this immediate kind of crisis we need to get through, but then we've seen now all of these needs that have been laid bare that we're going to have to address in long-term ways, and that really requires the work of the legislature. That's beyond just an executive order or a temporary fix. But that said, we're still in this reality of what we need to do right now. Um, people are hurting, and there's a set of things that didn't get across the finish line even in the last week. Was that just last Thursday we were all down there together? <laughs> um, time is a weird thing right now. Absolutely. But, uh, <laughs> so there were a set of things that we didn't get that have rose up to be really urgent, and actually we're, we're really part of what we've talked about in the MVP agenda, but we're talking about hourly workers. You know, our contract school employees and our hourly workers is something we know, and as as DFLers in the House and Senate, we've really talked about and, and laid that as a priority that we need to make sure those folks are taken care of with what we do right now in our emergency response. And then obviously that's part of our MVP uh, platform too for the long term, but that's something we didn't get done right now. Um, bus drivers, you know, paraprofessionals, school nutrition workers, um, they're valuable, so valuable right now and doing some of the hardest frontline work and we really failed them. Um, you know, we've had proposals, but I would say Senate Republicans need to be pushed more on that and we should chat um, so that um, the housing assistance, you know, that we're seeing people, we put a moratorium on rent and ev or evictions and uh, foreclosure type work, but we really haven't done anything so that people, the rent still do and people are going to fall further and further behind. Um, and the workers comp for first responders, we know our EMTs, our firefighters, so many people are putting themselves in harm way every day and um, we need to make sure they're protected. So Susan, could you speak a little bit about, you know, those proposals and we can talk uh, in detail if, if we want to get into that, but really what's holding up, what's going on there and what do Minnesotans need to do, need to know about those three proposals in particular? I will say that, um, you know, working with my Republican colleagues in the Senate is always um, interesting. And um, uh, it, is, it is sometimes a challenge to try to figure out what really is driving some of the um, resistance to, to taking on some of these issues. Um, in the case of school hourly workers, an argument is being made that this is covered in the executive order, but I think plenty of, of uh, our good legal minds, both in the legislature and the executive branch and working for the school districts have looked at all that and said, yeah, actually no. And so it does require the legislature really stepping up to this. And you're so right, Liz. Um, you know, I, I'm, I think so many of us are just amazed. Our school districts have served, I think over 1.2 million meals in the past. What is that? two weeks since right. the schools wow. have been a week and a half. Um, and that is being done largely by our hourly workers. Um, and that is such a huge need and, and service that we're providing our families and our, and our kids. Um, and so much else that's going on uh, to, to have our schools continue to, to work. And, you know, anytime we can keep people working, that means they're contributing to our economy. And so anything we can do to shore up our overall economic system right now is just going to keep us stronger and keep that bridge stronger till we get through the health crisis. And so, you know, when people point to any group of workers and say, well, you know, they don't necessarily really need it or something. 
um, I get a little confused because this is exactly what we need to be doing. Everybody loves to remember that the American economy is two thirds driven by consumer spending. And if we have so many people losing jobs and income right now, that just further contracts our economy all the way around. And so this is just one example of why we need to make sure that anybody who's able to work and contribute should get, be doing so and getting paid to do it. And that's, there's a real role for the legislature here and a need, a big need. Absolutely. And I think, Jamie, you know, to your, that point of like how this impacts broader economy, Jamie, you had shared something with me and maybe could just share on this as well about regarding housing assistance right. and work with the housing advocates. What's the impact here we're talking about? Right. Well, today is April 1st that we're recording this. And so rent is due for a lot of Minnesotans and the governor, uh, to his great credit, and I think we're all behind him in this, uh, has uh, an eviction order to prevent evictions during the emergency, but that doesn't uh, remove the ability, the need to pay rent. Um, folks aren't going to have to pay rent now and, uh, you know, they won't get evicted if they don't pay it, but they're going to have to pay that rent sometime. Um, and a lot of them are still trying to pay it right now if they can, but we, we know that just taking one example, right? A food prep worker, there are almost a quarter million of them across the state, them and servers and folks who are working in the restaurant industry. The medium wage for these folks is about $25,000. And if they're on unemployment, which most of them are now because of the, uh, temporary shutdown of, of restaurants, then they're earning about $1,000 a month on unemployment insurance. And the state medium rent is, guess what, $969. So these folks are really not going to be able to, to cut it, right? Um, and we, we saw a request from housing advocates, but also from landlords uh, coming to the legislature and saying, you know, we need help. We need, uh, they asked jointly for $100 million to be able to help with rental assistance. It's not very often you see those folks coming together, they're usually at odds when they're coming to the legislature, but they, they all know that we're in a, a unique moment where we really need to step up, but um, we weren't able to, to get that done. I don't know, uh, Susan, if you have reflections on where that got held up. Um, you know, part of it is uh, in the moment that we did that on March 26, Congress was still debating the federal, first federal response uh, to COVID, which ended up after we passed our bill, um, providing real relief in a bunch of different areas. So, you know, there is a, a legitimate conversation about our fiscal house. We can't deficit spend in, in the state. We have to balance our budget. And so, you know, people start getting nervous when they see how, you know, the amount of appropriations that we've been passing. So I think there's some element of concern there. there sometimes these are the concerns are, uh, you know, how these things are structured. And I know we're going to talk about workers' comp in a minute, and that's, that sort of falls under some of that too. Um, but uh, I think, you know, now that Congress has come forward with some meaningful relief to a lot of these issues, specific issues, whether it's small businesses or, or schools or states and some local governments as well, um, hopefully that is going to create some uh, relief in trying to get some things done. Right. So I, I do hope that we can can get this done. And uh, Liz, do you want to talk about the workers' comp issue? Yeah, I'll talk about the workers' comp. Um, to this point, too, that I was able to listen to before we started recording our podcast, again, being April 1st, 
um, a number of the housing advocates and legislators had a press conference today, a virtual press conference around housing. And one of the things that had both Republican and Democrat legislators in the House, one of the Republicans is a landlord. And then we have uh, our Democratic colleague, Mike Howard, who's been working on rental issues and things for a while. And this thing that struck me to that point was these two, a Democrat and Republican, someone who's worked in a house, from a housing advocate standpoint, someone who's worked from a landlord, basically saying, we are in this together. And this hundred million, you know, we do have some funding available that's rainy day and, you know, this is rainy day and we need to come together. And it's, it's a pretty rare moment that you see a press conference like that in a time of crisis with a renter, a housing advocate, Democrat, Republican coming together and, and doing that. So I, I'm appreciative of the House. Um, and I think we need some work to do probably on, you know, Senator Gazelka. But um, this idea, again, going back to the values that drive us was so clear today on the issue of housing of like Minnesotans are in this together. They care about each other, even in spaces where we're normally oppositional. And so I just I know, Jamie, you kind of mentioned that, but it was just reminded me of the press conference that I just watched right. moments ago uh, about how we really are in this together. So um, and to that point, the workers comp for first responders, another place where we're seeing some um, agreement. Uh, again, I think there's some log jams in certain places. And I know, you know, Senator Kent, you're doing a great job working with your colleagues and doing that. Um, but this is one area where we just saw a letter get sent to the governor again, uh, you know, just yesterday, asking for an executive order to protect our workers comp for our first responders. Um, because we unfortunately weren't able to get that across the finish line when we met last Thursday. Could you explain a little bit, uh, Susan, about what that means, kind of where we're at and where we may go from here. Yeah, you know, there were a lot of conversations because um, we all understand our first responders are the heroes in all of this. I mean, uh, you know, they are truly on the front lines dealing with um, people who um, very likely have this illness and, you know, and we're not give, even giving them the protective gear that they need to do their job safely. And, um, you know, so this truly is a matter of a workplace health issue. Um, and our laws, the way they're written, just don't currently make that available to them. Um, so what we were trying to do was to, to have some legislation that would uh, take care of that. I will say there are some legitimate questions and concerns, particularly when we're talking about like police and fire who are paid and hired by our um, cities and counties who are also having budget constraints and concerns um, that this could be a, an additional stress on those local budgets. And so that just means that as a legislature, this is another area of a bridge that we need to come forward and make sure that we have those resources available so that people can take care of our first responders. Um, you know, to me, it reminds me of how we took care of our 9-11 first responders and, and everybody recognized how critical that was and what an obligation we have to to take care of them since they're taking care of us and this is the same thing right so uh, looking forward we're at uh, April 1st we've uh, got another month and a half until the, the session wraps um, what what haven't we covered uh, uh, in this uh, podcast so far Susan that you think we need to be paying attention to and, and thinking about uh, as we're wrapping up session over the next next couple months? Um, you know, we do have a number of things that we've continued to, like, I think we've just identified three of the biggest 
um, we need to make sure that we are av available and working hand in glove with Governor Walls and Lieutenant Governor Flanagan and the administration in the excellent job that they're doing leading this process through um, this health crisis. Uh, and, and, you know, the administration, this, as we keep saying, this is uncharted territory and everybody is, as we go through this process, finding the opportunities that we have to try to make a difference. And when they need us to step up and provide support, we need to be there to do that. You know, there, there are a number of ways, large and small, um, you know, we did a thing um, for uh, driver's license extensions, forgiveness um, for people whose driver's licenses expire during this time. We don't want anybody to feel stressed out and pressured to go be at a license center in this right. time. You know, so th those are the things that we're discovering and, um, and continuing to do to make sure that um, we can continue to function safely, have people work, whether it's at home or in essential jobs, to be able to safely go and work in their jobs um, or to, to otherwise just take care of each other. Absolutely. And yeah, well, it's going to be probably a little bit of a bumpy ride, but Minnesotans are depending on us. And is the governor is doing phenomenal work and the lieutenant governor, there is a real role for us as legislators to represent our constituents and to be their voice at the Capitol when they're feeling anxious and they're feeling all of the real fears that are coming at them. And we're seeing so many things in our society that were so fragile before. Um, that are just now at the point of breaking. And, and that's where we're at. And we're here for that. That's right. Liz, can I bring up one other issue that yeah. I just, I think we want to um, call attention to, and this is something that I think we're going to continue to try to work with the administration on, but also potentially have some legislative uh, response to. And that is the discrimination and harassment and um, hate crimes that we are seeing against our Asian American neighbors. Um, it's not acceptable. Um, and I'm uh, so grateful for the leadership, for example, in the Senate by Senator Fong Her and, uh, and, and the community to um, ask for us to stand with them and make clear that um, this is a virus. These are our neighbors. They are the people who are taking care of our kids in schools and who are working alongside us every single day and who live next door to us. And uh, we need to all be better uh, in taking care of them. Um, and, 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 and from a legislative and government standpoint, there are some actions we can take to provide resources and, and, and keep an eye on this and make sure that we're protecting them in this time. Absolutely. I'm so glad you brought that up. And I think that's what really grounds us as Minnesotans and the idea that we're all in this together community and we stand up for our neighbors, um, especially when the racism that we know is an undercurrent of our society becomes incredibly overt, which it is right now. Yeah. And I think that was really, uh, I appreciate you bringing that up and your leadership in the Senate and supporting your colleagues uh, in that way. So absolutely. And I think that's really why we're all here and why we felt it important that even though it's uncertain and tomorrow may look different for all of us, that it felt good to get grounded back together in the Minnesota values that unite us, that are driving uh, the three of us and our colleagues down in St. Paul, and to really be here in, in this time uh, and remind ourselves that community togetherness is what Minnesotans wanted from us when we set this agenda and it was what they want from us now. It just looks different. Uh, it looks very different as we're all doing this remotely, but that's why we're here. So, I mean, I just really appreciate each of you being here and doing this and 
uh, colleague Jamie. I can't wait till we're doing this in person. <laughs> um, hopefully soon. <laughs> hopefully soon, right. So I don't know if there's any closing thoughts, remarks, stories from either of you at your perch, but it's been a delight having this conversation today. Well, I just want to thank you both um, for your leadership on the Minnesota Values Project. I think it really has helped provide such um, a guide and a touchstone for all of us in the work that we're doing. And in some ways, it feels like things got a little th thrown off um, because of COVID here. We had some pretty ambitious agendas for the session that ended up being set aside. But at the same time, it's the same roadmap, even in this moment. And yep. um, your work here has been incredible. And I'm just really grateful to have been a part of it and to look forward to working with you moving forward. And we've been so grateful for your leadership in the Senate, Senator Kent, and for this partnership um, that, you know, this might get lost a little bit uh, in the moment we're in. But uh, the fact that we have House leadership, Senate leadership, the governor, all standing together on shared values is, a, is an important moment for us. And I think uh, it's what Minnesotans need right now. Absolutely. Well said, Jamie. Well, thank you, podcast listeners, for tuning in for a longer edition, but an important edition. And stay healthy, stay home, and stay connected to your community.